Amen. Thank you, Casey. He hadn't Casey done a great job with the music, and thanks for bringing your family last night and tonight. That's really, really a blessing as well. Thank you all for how you have supported the revival with your attendance. We've had a had a great time, and I tell you, I'm I'm glad to be here tonight. I'll tell you why. I was uh, driving over on I-40, and I was just I was praying and thinking and just praising the Lord, and then all of a sudden I realized. I missed my exit. <laughs> and did you know, did you know if you don't get that 183 North exit, you have to go all the way to the Loves at the Custer City? Yeah, yeah, which is why I was a little late tonight. So I'm just glad to be, I, yeah, the sermon illustration there. So I'm really glad to be here tonight. Um, and uh, so... That concerns me a little bit. Y'all may need to pray for me, all right? But uh, it's good to be here and uh, good to see uh, some of my friends again from uh, First Baptist Clinton. Had a great time being the interim there and see some more of them here tonight. Thank you all as well for coming. I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 53 tonight. Isaiah chapter 53 And I want to look at one verse tonight. I want to spend the whole time just unpacking verse 6, Isaiah 53 and verse 6. And if you need a title tonight, I'm calling this, Whatever Happened to Sin? Whatever Happened to Sin? And um, this is a powerful verse. And it shows us that there really is sin, even though people try to deny it. But you read in Isaiah 53, 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. This verse has been called the John three sixteen of the Old Testament. And I, I believe that, uh, really do. And it explains to us why we need to talk about sin. You know, in the early 1970s, there was a, uh, a psychologist named Carl Menninger, and he wrote a book entitled, Whatever Became of Sin. And this psychologist had the audacity to suggest that the problems that we face in society and in our lives today are due to sin. Now, that's audacious, isn't it? Because think about it. I mean, have you ever noticed that no one ever talks much about sin anymore? Uh, Not even the church discusses sin, Uh, certainly some churches anymore. Instead of sin, everyone today has a syndrome, right? (laughs) Instead of sin, we call it a disease. Um, We talk about uh, dysfunctional people, dysfunctional families, when we should be talking about sinful families, I mean, that's really the gist of it, right? I mean, think about it. Who can take a real honest look at the world we live in without realizing there is something tragically wrong with human nature? In spite of all of our achievements and all of our scientific developments, about all we've added is noise and speed and garbage. The evils that were with us centuries ago are still with us today. Why? Because we are neglecting the root problem. And the root problem is sin. But nobody wants to talk about that, right? 
And so um, until our hearts are cleansed and our nature is regenerated, we can never expect that the world will be free from sin and, its, and the things that go along with sin. And so uh, a weakness in much modern theology today has been the effort to try to proclaim grace and forgiveness without treating sin and its consequences seriously. Folks, sin is real. Therefore, guilt is real and grace is for, and forgiveness is necessary. Sin has consequences. When uh, someone sins, someone always gets hurt. And so I want to answer the question, whatever happened to sin? I remember reading a number of years ago, uh, someone was talking about a cartoon that had been published in the uh, New Yorker magazine. And in this cartoon, it had um, Jesus was hanging on the cross and there are two men there uh, talking. And one man looks at the other and he says, if I'm okay and you're okay, what's he doing up there? Well, that's something to think about, isn't it? You know, when uh, we were in college, Don, remember that book that came out about uh, transactional analysis? I'm okay, you're okay, right? Folks, if I'm okay and you're okay, we don't need a Savior, right? If I'm okay and you're okay, Jesus' death on the cross was needless. But here's the thing about it. it. It is needed. And when you come to Isaiah 53, 6, you see Isaiah painting a different picture concerning humanity than the modern thinkers do. He gets to the real heart of the gospel. If we deny the reality of sin, then we obscure the one thing that God did to deal with sin. You know, often at Easter time, uh, this question is raised in people's minds. Uh, why should an innocent man like Jesus Christ die such a terrible death on the cross? Well, there's a reason for that. Isaiah is very clear in telling us that his death was vicarious. That means that he suffered not for his own sin, but for the sake of others. It's amazing this chapter is written about 700 years before Jesus came to this earth. And yet it describes exactly who he was and, and what he did. Uh, you can look in verse 4. It says, Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. And then we get to our text tonight, verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. There are some things I want us to look at tonight out of this text. Uh, number one, we notice that according to this text, sin is universal and unavoidable. That's the first thing I want you to see in these verses. That sin is universal and unavoidable. Or, or excuse, yeah, unavoidable. What is the first word there in verse 6? All. You know what all means there in the Hebrew? All. Yeah, that's right. All. The New American Standard said all of us. 
Sin has become a black, dark drop in the vein of the human race. Paul says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Why? Well, he goes on in Romans 5 to tell us that the consequence of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden was that many became sinners. In fact, listen to what Paul says in Romans 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So sin is universal and it's unavoidable because the sin of Adam and Eve has come upon every single person that has been born since that time. And we need to be reminded of that because you and I often hear people say, you know, and this has happened to me many times when I've shared the gospel. Someone will say, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I've never murdered anybody. I've never committed adultery. And in fact, I'm good as anyone that I know that that goes to church. But see, the, the problem is that's not the issue. Jesus said there is none good but one, and that is God. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There is not a just man upon earth that does good and sins not. And so uh, you can never escape your basic human nature by trying to be good. And we need to understand that. That's the consequences of sin. And you can dress somebody up all you want to, and it's not going to change them on the inside, right? I love the story about the farmer who, uh, he raised pigs and he had this one special pig that he really liked. And he brought that pig into his house and he gave the pig a bath and he polished his hooves and he put some uh, Chanel number five on him. (laughs) He put a ribbon around his neck and put him there in the living room, laid him there on the couch. And man, that, that pig looked good. That pig smelled good. Uh, he, he made a nice companion for a while. But a little while later, as soon as someone left the door open, you know, the pig left that living room and uh, jumped into the first mud hole he could find. <laughs> Why? He's still a pig at heart. That's still his nature, right? He'd been changed outwardly, but not inwardly. And you can take a man, dress him up, put him on the front row in a church, and why he'll almost look like a saint. And uh, he can fool even some of his best friends for a while. But then put him in his office or uh, watch him in the club on Saturday night. And you'll see his true nature come out again. Why does he act that way? Well, because his nature hasn't been changed. He's been born again. And the problem with you and I is not sins plural. It is sin singular. We have inherited a sin nature from Adam. That's why you and I never had to teach our children to lie. They came by it quite naturally, right? And so uh, sin is universal and unavoidable. The truth of the matter is we don't need a boost from below. We need a birth from above. And that's what Jesus came to do. There's a second thing we see in this text, that not only is sin universal and inescapable, uh, he says, all of we. But the second thing we see here is that sin is primarily senseless. It is primarily senseless. 
Look at what he says next. All of us, and what's the next phrase? Like sheep. Like sheep. And we get that out here in the country, right? You know, many times in the scripture, people are likened to sheep. Uh, Psalm 79, 13. We, thy people, and the sheep of thy pasture. Psalm 95, 7. For he is our God, and we are the sheep of his hand. Uh, Jeremiah 50, verse 6. My people have been like lost sheep. And remember in Matthew 9, as it talks about Jesus seeing the multitude, he felt compassion on them because they were as sheep without a shepherd. And it's no accident that the Bible describes us as sheep. Uh, What are sheep like? I'll tell you a good book I'd recommend to you, Philip Keller's book. A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. Philip Keller was a shepherd by trade, by occupation. And he wrote a book uh, looking at the 23rd Psalm from the viewpoint of a shepherd. And I want to read you one thing he says in his book. He says, sheep do not just take care of themselves as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock endless attention and meticulous care. He says, it is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. Sheep need a lot of care. I mean, they're basically senseless, right? I mean, think about it. Have you ever been to a circus and seen a sheep doing tricks? Doesn't happen, right? That's something you just don't see. And so there's a reason for this. Sin is primarily senseless. And um, I'll tell you, sin, sin will make you crazy. And if you don't believe it, you just look around at the culture in which you and I live. We got people on the Supreme Court that cannot even define what a woman is. And I could say a lot more, but I'll just leave it at that. You get it, right? uh, Many years ago, I was uh, reading about Martin Luther, uh, the great uh, Protestant reformer. Not only did he bring about the Protestant Reformation, he was quite a hymn writer as well. And I ran across one of his hymns, uh, and this is what he had written. He says, In devil's dungeon chained I lay, the pangs of death swept o'er me. My sin devoured me night and day in which my mother bore me. My anguish grew more rife. I took no pleasure in life, and sin had made me crazy. Sin will make you crazy. Sin always promises what it can never produce. Uh, I'll give you an example. I was reading about this in South America, that jungle tribes would often earn money by trapping monkeys. And then they would um, uh, get these animals and sell them for research to scientists all over the world. You know, you know what they did to trap those monkeys? They would uh, take a coconut and they would drill a hole in a coconut and hollow out the insides and then fasten the coconut to a chain. Then they would go deep into the jungle and um, they would locate, uh, the natives would, a um, band of wild monkeys. So the monkeys are way up in the trees and they're watching all this taking place. They're watching the, uh, the people there. Uh, take that coconut and chain it to the base of the tree. And then they make a great show of putting a piece of candy or other bait into that hollowed out coconut. So after the people leave, it's usually the largest monkey who comes down and sticks his hand into the coconut to get the treat. 
But you know what has happened is that he, he, the hole is just big enough for him to get his hand in there. When he gets the bait, the hole is not big enough for him to get his fist back out. So he's got to make a choice here what he's going to do. When he grabs the bait, he can't get his fist back out of the hole. And that monkey will hold on to that bait, screaming until the natives return. But he will not let go of it. You know, sin is just like that. It looks so inviting and uh, tasty like that monkey bait. But I'll tell you, it'll put you into chains. Sin always promises what it can't produce. Sin always promises happiness. But it gives emptiness. Sin always promises freedom. But it gives bondage. Sin never speaks to us of its consequences. I'll tell you sometimes when I'm watching TV and watching some of the uh, alcohol commercials, isn't it amazing how glamorous they make drinking alcohol? And I want to say, Sin, why don't you show the real story of a drunk plowing in to a carload of family members and they all die? Right there on the highway. You see, sin will never show you the real picture. Sin never speaks to us of its consequences. Because it is, it's just primarily senseless. And not only that, Isaiah goes on and talks a little more about this. Not only is sin universal and primarily senseless, but thirdly, sin scatters and separates. Look at what else he says in verse 6 there. All of we, like sheep, Now look at the next phrase, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So here is a picture of the willful and yet purposeless waywardness of sin. Sin scatters and separates. It scatters and separates us from within, right? Because of sin, we, we become our own worst enemy. And we think the problem is everybody else when the problem is us. I read about a man who went to see a psychologist. He walks in. He's got an egg on his head and a strip of bacon on each ear. And he looked at the psychologist and said, Doc, I'm here to talk to you about my wife. Isn't that what sin does? It blinds us to everything else except that we're, we're the problem. It scatters and separates from within. It separates us from seeing what we really are inside. Because sin is ultimately based on human pride. Human pride. And we live in this world of illusion. And when God speaks to us about becoming real in Jesus Christ... So many people turn and they want to run back to sin's illusion because they'd rather have the illusion than to have real life in Jesus. But not only does it scatter and separate from within us on the inside, sin scatters and separates from without as well. When Adam and Eve ate of that fruit in the Garden of Eden, they began to do what God does. To relate everything to themselves. But the problem with that is as creatures, we don't have the ability to mainstream that kind of a relationship. Man can't be the center of the universe. And it throws an unbalanced element into our lives. So it, it messes us up from within and from without. 
And I'll tell you a third thing sin does is we think about it scattering and separating. It separates us from God, right? And ultimately, that's what happened there in the Garden of Eden. Uh, and I'll tell you, that devil is so sneaky, right? Genesis 3.1, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Boy, that's just the devil, isn't it? Taking and, and twisting it. Eve, did God really say that? Is that what he said? The devil denying the word of God, and he's still doing it today. Denying the word of God. And uh, she told him, she said, well, we can have fruit from any tree we want. But the one there in the middle of the garden, God said, you touch it uh, or eat from it, you'll die. And then the devil contradicted what God had said. He said to the woman, you surely will not die. And that's exactly what God, what the devil does. He denies God, denies his word, and it separates us from God. You see, God's not the problem, right? You read a little further in Isaiah, in Isaiah 59, verse 1. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So the problem is not God. The problem is our sin. And so God has a warfare with sin. And that is why he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to take care of the sin problem for us. 1 John 3, 8 says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. I mean, think about it. Who was the enemy that tore the scepter from his hand? Who was the enemy that smashed the crown of thorns on his head? Who was the enemy that took Jesus Christ from his throne in heaven to the cross? It was our sin that put him there. Alexander McLaren said this. He said, you thought he was afflicted because he was bad and you were spared because you were good. No. He was afflicted because you were bad and you were spared. Because he was afflicted. And so there's one last thing that we uh, see in this verse. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And then look at the last phrase. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's, that's the picture, right? That's what we, uh, that's what we see. You could, uh, I'm going to borrow this just for a second. You could uh, let my hand here represent my life. And this is uh, my sin, all right? So when God looks down at my life, what does he see? He sees my sin, right? Let this hand represent Jesus Christ. And think about what this says. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus took our sin. And now we're free to respond to God in repentance and faith. That's what he's telling us. So yes, sin is universal. Yes, sin is primarily senseless. Yes, sin does scatter and separate. 
But according to the last part of verse 6 here, sin can be forgiven in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The deep burden of our sin came not only on him, but was laid on him by God. This was the righteous suffering for the unrighteous. This is the sinless one dying as a substitute. In verse 5, we read those words that he was pierced and he was crushed. And these are appropriate terms for the crucifixion. But you notice in verse 5, I read it a moment ago. It says that he was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. That word well-being is the Hebrew word shalom. And it means peace. It could be translated the chastening for our shalom fell on him. And by his scourging we are healed. Shalom means wholeness or wellness. Has the idea of to be be whole in all areas of your life. Broken relationships become right, and his suffering leads to peace and healing. And then he says, by his scourging, we are healed. The greatest sin is spiritual sickness. And Isaiah is talking here about the spiritual healing of the nation of Israel, which is passed now to the church. The guilt that belonged to us, God caused to strike him. As our substitute, he bore the punishment that the guilt of our sin required. God laid on Jesus the burden of our sin for which he died. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.24, He bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. Our sin can be forgiven. In Jesus Christ. I was reading today the the story about the uh, Transcontinental Railroad. It's a pretty interesting story. As you know, as Americans came west, they had to come over covered wagons. And so some people got this idea that we need a transcontinental railroad that goes from east to west. So they start working on it. And on May the 10th, 1869, They finished it, and they connected it there in Utah. And so now East met West, and it's kind of interesting. They they had this big fanfare, and all these dignitaries were there, and uh, they had gold spikes that they took a silver hammer and drove those gold spikes into uh, those uh, holes there to finish it. And when they did that, everybody began to cry out. It's finished. It's finished. West and East have now come together. And I thought to myself, we've heard that phrase, haven't we? It is finished. As Jesus Christ hung on the cross. But I'll tell you something. The only gold that day was the gold of his precious blood. And the only silver that day were the silver of his tears for us. 
as he cried out, it is finished. It is finished is a, is a um, business word, an accounting word. It's one word in the Greek to telestai. And it translates literally paid in full. So when Jesus died on the cross and says it's finished, he's saying the transaction has been made complete. Only it wasn't a railroad that connected east and west. It was the sinless substitute. Holy God and sinful man being brought together. I like how one old preacher put it. He said, uh, you're not saved by the rocket of reason or by the ladder of logic, but by the railroad of redemption. The old T&O, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's bow our heads and hearts together. Our heads bowed and eyes closed. In just a moment, we're going to sing our hymn of invitation. Casey's going to come and lead that. Pastor Don will be here at the front. Whatever happened to sin? Well, we have a society that will ignore sin or deny sin. But God wants us to admit our sin. And a wonderful thing happens when we do that. When we admit our sin to God. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you're here tonight. You say, you know, I don't know if I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior or not. We want to give you that opportunity tonight. But friend, hear my heart tonight. And I say this with all the love that I have in me. Your sins have separated you from God. And you are headed to hell unless you turn from those sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, that's not the opinion of some narrow-minded Baptist preacher. That's exactly what the Word of God says. And I'm here as a lover of your soul to tell you the truth, that you're never going to make heaven hanging on to your sin. But you can let it go tonight. You can turn from your sin. We've talked about repentance and what that means. And you can turn to Jesus Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know it. I'm sorry. And I ask you to forgive me tonight and receive me. Give me eternal life. God doesn't know a sin he won't forgive if you will turn from it and lay it at his feet and say, Jesus, I'm coming to you. He loves you and he did this for you. When we stand and sing, would you come today and take your pastor by the hand and say, I need Jesus in my life. I I need to go to heaven. Will you show me how to get there? Maybe you're here as a Christian and your need is not salvation, it is rededication. Maybe you're not where you need to be with the Lord and God brought you here tonight to do spiritual business with your heart. Would you today recommit your life whatever's separating you from God it's not worth it revival time is rededication time when we uh, just get rid of things in our lives that don't need to be there and let God cleanse us anew and afresh and fill us with his Holy Spirit and, and use us for his glory 
You can come and do that tonight. Maybe you need to join the church. Whatever it is, you come. Father, we give you this invitation and we pray tonight for those who need to come and receive Jesus. Help them see how much you love them, that you sent your son to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Lord, he truly is our only hope. He is our living hope, as we sang earlier. And Father, we pray tonight that people would come to know him as Lord and Savior. We pray this in his name. And all God's people said, Amen.